What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 52 of the Tom Shifflett Podcast. I am your host, Tom Shifflett. We'll get into week eight, the NFL season. We got Thursday night football last night. The Atlanta Falcons hold on 25 to 17 over the Carolina Panthers. This game was pretty rough to watch in a couple stretches of time. You know, Atlanta had no problem getting down into the red zone, just couldn't come away with touchdowns besides the one girly one that kind of put the nail in the coffin there. But Atlanta's just the red zone offense. It just, it really struggles down there. And the first drive, they have no problem moving down there. Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, they hook up a million times. It feels like get inside the 10, they struggle, they stuffle, and then they get to fourth and inches inside the three. And they look like they're going to go for it. Raheem Morris calls a timeout. Then they go back out. They kick the field goal. It's like, what are we doing here? You're one and six, man. Just just go for it. You can't get an inch. You don't think you can get an inch. That just that doesn't scream a lot of confidence in, in your offense. So I don't know. I, I, it was kind of perplexing that they didn't go for that one there. But the defense played pretty well for Atlanta. They got after Teddy Bridgewater a lot. There were a lot of pressure in his face the entire time. And I was talking about on Monday, some of Carolina's problems have been they can't protect Teddy Bridgewater effectively and every time he struggled in the offensive struggle this year Teddy was under duress the entire time and that's exactly what happened last night they couldn't get any rhythm going whatsoever every time Teddy it seemed like every other drop back he had a guy in his face knocking him to the ground he took a pretty ugly late hit that kind of knocked him out of the game for a little bit and then PJ Walker he came in and played quarterback a little bit but he, he only threw the ball three times he did a really great job of just handing the ball off to Mike Davis but it was a rough night for Carolina's offense and they couldn't really get a lot going and the defense didn't really play that well. They played pretty good inside the 20-yard line, but they did what, I mean, Atlanta just moved all over him. They couldn't stop Julio Jones at all. Yeah, so we'll look at the numbers real quick. So Matt Ryan, 21 of 30, 281 yards. He did throw an interception. He did have six carries, 27 yards, and a rushing touchdown. Ryan Hill, he was the most effective rusher for Atlanta. 11 carries, 55 yards. Todd Gurley, 18 carries, 46 yards, and that touchdown. He just didn't look very good last night, and they showed a couple shots of him on stationary bikes. So you don't know if the arthritis and his knees are flaring back up and he's having problems with that. I don't know, but he hasn't looked very good the past couple weeks. I don't know if the knee problems that he was dealing with in, in Los Angeles is kind of catching back up with him. I don't know, but he just did not look very good last night. He was running into a wall all night night there was just no explosiveness so it's something to look out for Todd Gurley I mean Todd Gurley's playing okay he does lead the league in touchdowns right now he's top five in yards but he's just he's getting a lot of touches to get that stuff and he hasn't been really efficient so Brian Hill has always looked like he's been the better back so far this season so I don't know if it's just a change of pace thing but maybe Brian Hill will have to be the guy here coming up shortly because it looks like Gurley is really running out of gas here Julio Jones seven receptions 137 yards nobody could stay in front of him it was just kind of frustrating he had a couple balls there in the red zone like every single game for Atlanta the the red zone woes of Atlanta's passing game just not being able to get the ball to Julio Jones it's uh it's pretty crazy Matt Ryan did miss Calvin really a couple times down there just looking at Julio Jones and locking in on him but Hayden Hurst five receptions 54 yards and Calvin Ridley as I mentioned he had three receptions 42 yards he left the game with it looked like a foot injury he had MRIs x-rays all are negative so he might miss the next week or two just precautions but he should be okay. It didn't look very good when he got hurt, but it looks like he's going to be just fine. Teddy Bridgewater, he was 15 to 23, 176 yards, a touchdown, interception. He did have five carries for 30 yards, so he was able to escape the pocket and move the chains a little bit for them, but there just wasn't anything right going on for Carolina the entire night. Mike Davis, 13 carries, 66 yards. Curtis Samuel, he had three carries, 23 yards, and a rushing touchdown. He also added four receptions, 31 yards, and a touchdown off of a flea flicker there in the first half. DJ Moore, two catches, 55 yards. It was all on the last drive for Carolina moving down to try and score it. He got, what was it, like a 40-some yarder on a third and 17. The Atlanta Falcons bit on a double move on third and on fourth and 17. Just absolutely pathetic defense. You know, when Young Hoku missed the extra point that would have put him up by nine made it an eight point game. You're just like, well, here we go. Atlanta is going to blow this. Carolina is going to march right down the field, tie the ball game up, and we're going to get into overtime. But Teddy just didn't have any time. Even in that last play where he was intercepted, his right tackle was holding. Everyone on the line was holding. They could have hold, called a holding on every single offensive lineman, and he still didn't have any time to throw the ball. So he kind of just threw up a prayer there, and it was intercepted. But just a really bad game for Carolina offensively. It just wasn't good at all. The line gave up three sacks, 13 quarterback hits. It just wasn't 
very good night for them. So Atlanta, they've won six of the last seven versus Carolina. Raheem Morris, he's now two and one so far. He could potentially be three and zero if things would have went the way they were supposed to last week. But you know, whatever. Two and one. Julio Jones now has 29 games with over 100 receiving yards and zero touchdowns. That's by far the most in the Super Bowl era. So it's kind of just crazy. Julio is just like allergic to get in the end zone. It's really weird. And I think it's part of the reason that people don't consider him the best receiver in football is because they just look at the touchdown numbers. But it's it's way more than that. He's he's the best wide receiver in in the league he's one of the greatest to ever do it so it's kind of weird they were talking about you know michael thomas is coming back this week and it's like oh he's the best receiver in the game it's like did did julio jones die like i i don't understand where this comes from and did deandre hopkins die or something like that michael thomas is not better than julio jones or deandre hopkins but anyway moving on julio he tied randy moss for the second most games with 100 plus receiving yards in a game since 1950 with 35 he also passed tory holt for the second most yards in a player's first 10 seasons in nfl history with 12,660 yards so julio's an absolute animal if he's out there he's playing good luck stopping him the only way you stop him is if atlanta gets inside the 20 and they just can't get him the ball inside the end zone it's absolutely insane and matt ryan he made a little history he became the ninth player in nfl history with 300 plus passing touchdowns and 10 plus rushing touchdowns in his career and curtis samuel after last night he has three career games with at least one receiving touchdown and one rushing touchdown only jerry rice has more in the super bowl era with five so curtis samuel has come the swiss army knife for them and kind of do it all and they need somebody like that to kind of replace the production of christian mccaffrey it does look like christian mccaffrey is going to be making his way back here shortly they did not activate him off the ir uh, he could have played last night, honestly, but they didn't think a week of practice was enough time. So Christian McCaffrey will be back. Unfortunately, that means Mike Davis is going to see significant less carries. He was doing a really good job, but it's Christian McCaffrey time. Time to get him back and give that offense a shot in the arm. And Robbie Anderson's been good, and DJ Moore, needs to, he's been really good when he's gotten the football, and Teddy just had a really rough time of getting the ball to DJ Moore, and it's been going on all season. Really, he hasn't really gotten DJ Moore the ball enough, so we'll see. This Carolina offense is good. The defense is it's okay. This team is just hanging in there, but I don't know. I mean, this division is, it's not even really up for grabs, but this division could be completely different if Atlanta could have just kept a couple of leads this season. I mean, they'd be right in the thick of it. And unfortunately their defense did not help them whatsoever close any of these ball games out. So now they're looking at two and six now, instead of possibly, you know, four and five, the same record as Carolina, but oh, well, it is what it is. That's, that's Atlanta's season in a nutshell, the past two years. So we'll get into previewing the rest of the week going into Sunday's game, biggest game, the biggest game of the week, still only a one o'clock game somehow didn't get flexed out to a Sunday night football or even a four o'clock kickoff. We're still just a one o'clock game for this huge, huge matchup. Just like last week, two five and zero teams going against each other in the one o'clock window. All right, whatever, man. So six and zero Pittsburgh at five and one Baltimore, the greatest rivalry in sports the past 20 years. This is it right here. Pittsburgh comes in with a 24th ranked offense, 26th passing, 14th rushing, and the number one overall defense. Baltimore comes in with a 28th offense, 32nd passing, 3rd rushing, and the 5th overall defense. So Baltimore and Pittsburgh are tied with 23 wins apiece since 1999. Pittsburgh is averaging 19.5 points per game. Baltimore is averaging 20.3 points per game. So these these games are so tough to call. It's honestly a coin toss. These teams are usually just neck and neck with one another in every single way. And last year was just unfortunate that we didn't get Lamar versus Big Ben twice. You know, this is the first time that Lamar is going to be playing Ben Roethlisberger head-to-head in a game this Sunday. And unfortunately, we had Duck Hodges versus Lamar last year. And then we had Robert Griffin III versus Mason Rudolph to end the year. And Finally, we get some two good quarterbacks playing against each other here. Finally, this game is this game is going to be really tough to call because if you look at it, Pittsburgh, the most susceptible they are is through the air with the deep ball. That's not really Lamar and Baltimore's game right now. Pittsburgh's strength is against the run and the short passing game. That's really what Baltimore likes to do here. So kind of a clashing styles. I mean, Pittsburgh is probably well more well equipped to take advantage of Baltimore's shortcomings on defense with their receiving core and the way that Ben gets the ball out of his hands. Only Derek Carr gets the ball out of his hands quicker than Big Ben at less than 2.3 seconds. So Baltimore's going to blitz a a lot and... That's just that plays right into the way that Pittsburgh plays. They don't really like to have a lot of plays take a long time. They like to be real short, quick, make sure Ben doesn't get hit at all. And this is going to be a really fun game. I'm I'm really excited to watch this football game. I'm still just I'm kind of perplexed that they didn't flex this game out or something. I just I don't get it. Even giving what the Monday night game is this week, Tampa Bay at the fucking Giants, the Sunday night game, Dallas versus Philadelphia. 
That's our Sunday night fucking football game. A team with two teams that are combined for four goddamn wins. That's our that's our that's our primetime game. It's ridiculous. Now, since the Giants are playing on Monday night, they have more primetime games than the fucking six and zero undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers. What are we doing here? Like, what are we doing? I just don't get it, man. I really don't understand it. You have the power to flex this thing out. They flexed Cincinnati and Pittsburgh in a couple weeks now to a four o'clock game. Big fucking deal. This is this is the one. This is the money game of the week. And we get to watch Ben DiNucci or whatever the fuck his name is on Sunday Night Football against Carson Wentz. Great. Ugh. Anyway, so let's let's look at the numbers here for both these teams so far in 2020. So Pittsburgh, so far, their offense averages 30.5 points per game. They allow 19.7 points per game. They're a plus two in the turnover differential. The past two weeks, they've been behind in the turnover differential. So that number really came down. They were like a plus 10 at one point, but they've been a little sloppy with the ball the past two weeks. And they're a plus 18 in the sack differential for for Baltimore so far, they're averaging 29.8 points per game. They're allowing 17.3 points per game. They have a plus six turnover differential. They have a plus seven sack differential so far this season. So these two teams, they're they're right next to each other in almost every single category. I mean, Pittsburgh, the way they got to the quarterback, of course, no one's going to be in the same realm as them. But Baltimore, they do a really good job of getting after the quarterback themselves. So this is going to be a really fun game. And this is... Oh my, I'm so excited for this game. I, I really can't, I really can't. Uh, I'm excited for these games every single season. This is going to be a really, really great football game. This has potential to be game of the year. And then they do it one more time in Pittsburgh later on in the year. So I'm very excited for this. So both of these teams are coming in offensively pretty hot. I mean, Baltimore has scored 20 plus and 29 straight. Pittsburgh has scored 26 plus in every game so far this season. So this is going to be fun, man. I mean, Big Ben. He's had a 68.2 completion percentage this year, 242 yards per game, 13 touchdowns, four picks, and a 99.6 quarterback rating. Lamar, 63% completion percentage, 246 yards per game, 10 touchdowns, two interceptions, and a 99.2 rating. So this thing is right down, like, this is so laser thin, the differences between both these teams. So this game could go either way. I I think Pittsburgh wins this game. I've maintained that this is the team to beat in the AFC North and I think they're going to show that this week I mean Baltimore has opened up as what a six and a half point favorite this this weekend like the fuck are we doing here like this is a the Steelers are going to are the underdog the undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers are the underdog going in against a team that really hasn't played that great all year in the Baltimore Ravens but we'll see what happens these games are always crazy you can usually throw the records right out the window so very very much looking forward to this game I'm, I'm so excited for Sunday next game we'll get into the three and three Las Vegas Raiders at the five and two Cleveland Browns so Las Vegas comes in with a 19th ranked offense 15th passing 25th rushing and the 17th overall defense for Cleveland, the 11th overall offense, 24th passing, second rushing, and the 24th overall defense. So, I mean, the way people are nitpicking Baker Mayfield apart and Kevin Stefanski and the way the things have been going for him so far as a 5-2 and two football team, you would think they'd be dead last in offense. But this is a pretty good offense, and I know they lost Odell Beckham Jr. That's a huge blow. No, they're not better without him. I'll say it again. I'm watching shit all week since I recorded on Monday. They're still doing the same shit, you know, talking about, well, maybe Baker is better without Odell. No, he's not. Baker said himself, it's insulting to Odell to even say stuff like that. Like, it's ridiculous to even think that. But this team is, it's starting to get a little bit better. And I think Baker can kind of piggyback off his outing last week against Cincinnati because, I mean, Vegas's pass defense is pretty easy to move up and down the field on. Their defense in general is pretty easy to move up and down on the field on. So we'll see what happens here. Let's do a little quarterback comparison real quick, though. So Derek Carr, I was talking about him how well he was playing last episode, and he's at 72% completion percentage. Only Drew Brees has a higher one. He has 287 yards per game, 13 touchdowns, two picks, a 112.8 passer rating. So he's been really efficient. He's taking care of the football, taking a few more shots per game down the field than he usually does. That helps when you have receivers like Henry Ruggs and Nelson Aguilar down the field. So Baker so far, 63 completion percentage, 198 yards per game, 15 touchdowns, seven interceptions, and a 94 and a half passer rating. So not the greatest, but not the worst either. He's he's doing just fine. And again, if you would... If you would just look at the way everyone's talking about him, especially in the Cleveland media and the fans on social media, you would think Baker has the worst numbers in the league, but he's playing just fine. He's going to get better every week, and this is a real keep moving forward with that positive momentum taking away from really the second quarter into the fourth against Cincinnati. But according to the next-gen stats, Baker, he has a 17.2 passer rating under pressure this season. That's the third lowest in the NFL, so he's definitely got to get better at making quicker decisions, speeding up the process a little bit more when he's under pressure and 
just making plays, man. I mean, 17.2 pass rate, that's just unacceptable. And these are part of the reasons that people are shitting on Baker Mayfield so far. There's a lot of crunch time plays that he's just not making. And maybe this week he'll be able to do that because, uh, you know, Las Vegas has had a really tough time getting after quarterbacks this season. So it shouldn't really be a problem for Baker this week. But that's stuff he's got to clean up when he's got more games coming up against Baltimore and Pittsburgh, two teams that come after the quarterback like nobody's business. And you saw... I mean, he's lost, what is it, 68 to like 13 or 14 in two games versus Baltimore, Pittsburgh. So just you got to be better against defensive pressure like that. Las Vegas, as I was talking about, they're pretty susceptible. They have 30 plus, they've allowed 30 plus points in five of the last six games. Josh Jacobs, man, what a year he's having. It's pretty rough so far. So he's averaging the worst yards per carry at 3.4 among running backs with 80 plus carries this season. So that running game has really struggled and it's not helping Derek Carr really at all. And I don't know what I don't know what it is. It's just maybe the offensive line isn't playing as well or Josh Jacobs isn't seeing the holes correctly or I just don't know what it is because this passing game is pretty potent and they're not really stacking the boxes so I just I don't understand what's happening with Josh Jacobs here and is it going to bounce back this week? I don't Cleveland is pretty stingy against the run. They're more susceptible to deep passes, but I don't know, Derek. I mean, Josh Jacobs, he's got to play a lot better. Derek Carr needs a, a consistent run game. They can't be super one-dimensional. The games that they've gotten away from the run game, it's usually the games that they have struggled offensively. So we'll see if Josh Jacobs can bounce back here. But, you know, for Cleveland, being down Odell, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Rashard Higgins, they have to step up. They need to kind of meet that production that Odell can possibly give them. And I know people say he didn't have a lot of production with Cleveland. He still was a weapon out there. He was somebody that the defense has kind of shifted their coverage towards, and it opened things up for Jarvis Landry. That's not going to happen right now. And everyone's going to move the coverage towards Jarvis Landry. So those guys need to pick up the slack big time. So, I don't know. Rashard Higgins could blow up here. I mean, him and Baker, they have a really good rapport. We'll see. I mean... This, this still is a pretty good offense. The scheme is really good, so it, it should be just fine without Odell Beckham Jr. Next game, we'll get into the 5-2 and two Los Angeles Rams at the 3-3 three and three Miami Dolphins. The Rams come in with the 6th overall offense, 11th passing, 4th rushing, and the 12th overall defense. For Miami, they have the 25th offense, 22nd passing, 29th rushing, and the 8th overall defense. So, Tua Tagovailoa, he's making his first NFL start. So, rookie quarterbacks are 0-5 versus the Rams since 2014. Russell Wilson is the last rookie quarterback to beat LA. That was in 2012. Aaron Donald, he has 10 quarterback hits and five and a half sacks versus rookie quarterbacks in his career. Kyler Murray was the only quarterback that he's faced, a rookie quarterback that he's faced, that he didn't get a sack or a quarterback hit on. So it's pretty rough for Tua to come in. This is his first start, especially the way that this Rams defense has been playing this season. Um, I don't know. It didn't seem like this was the plan all along from the front office to be like, okay, Fitzpatrick will play until the bye week and then we'll start Tua. It kind of just looked like, okay, it's Tua time. I I don't know why you would just do that now. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick was playing pretty good. This offense was playing pretty good. This team in general was playing pretty good. They're second in the AFC East right now, and I just don't understand why you would go to a rookie quarterback now, but I don't know. I, feel, I still feel really bad for Ryan Fitzpatrick. It didn't seem like this was the plan at all, and it seemed like Brian Flores didn't think this was the plan at all, so uh, it just... It, it's kind of a it's a shitty situation to kind of put two in because if he doesn't if he doesn't hit the ground running immediately it's going to be like oh well what the hell this guy sucks now it's like he didn't really I don't know I would have rathered him sit out the whole year and then you have the whole off season you're the number one guy then start out the whole season but this is what Miami wants to do so I, I'm, I'm I'm pulling for two I, I really like him so and I think he is going to be a good quarterback it's just kind of a shitty situation to put him in here so L.A. They've allowed less than 25 points in six of seven games so far in 2020. That's tied for the most in the NFL. Like this defense is playing some really good football and it's just, it's a really tough spot to put Tua in, but I don't know. They Apparently he's been practicing really well and they're, they're really excited with his progression. So let's, let's throw him out there. I hope, I hope for the best. I really do. I hope, I hope for the best for Tua. Miami, they're 11 and two all time versus the Rams in franchise history. That's the seventh highest winning percentage versus a single opponent in the Super Bowl era. Miami, their defense is playing pretty good. Like I said, this is the eighth overall defense. They're only allowing 18 and a half points per game that's the lowest they've had since 2006 so yeah have they played a couple cupcakes here and there yeah but they're doing a really good job of not letting those teams move up and down the field on them so this is a pretty interesting game because LA 
they have this whole, you know, which team are they really? Because at home, they're juggernauts. And then when they're on the road and they're not playing, you know, the NFC East, it's kind of like, uh, this team is the team that I thought they would be, right? They're pretty mediocre. So I know this is a big test for LA. I know they're playing the Dolphins in Miami, but it's a big test. The offense needs to come out and they need to do what they're built to do and go up and down the field, score a bunch of points on this Miami team to show that they're a legitimate contender, not only in the NFC West, but in the NFC in general. So, but Miami, this is a big one for them too. If they can come out and they pull this win out, they played really tough against Seattle a couple weeks ago. They can hang in there with LA, maybe steal a win. Maybe they are legitimate contenders for the AFC East, but we'll see. I don't... I'm not going to go on a limb and say that, but maybe, who knows? I mean, they look a lot better than New England, who I think is a really good team, but we'll see. Very, very interested in this game here. Next game that I have no interest in whatsoever, and neither does anybody else, the 0-7 New York Jets traveling to with the 6-1 Kansas City Chiefs. So the Jets, shocking. They're the 32nd ranked offense, 31st passing, 18th rushing, and they did 25th defense. For Kansas City, they have the 5th offense, 7th passing, 6th rushing, and the 22nd overall defense. The Jets have scored less than 20 points in 6 of 7 games in 2020. Kansas City's defense has allowed less than 20 points in 6 games of 7 in 2020. So, you know, that doesn't seem too good for the Jets at all. Uh, This one was pretty funny. So, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, they have 5 touchdowns each. That's more than all the Jets players can combined who have four their other two touchdowns that they had left with Le'Veon Bell so they have four total touchdowns that's that's not good just in case you're wondering that's really bad the Jets they're averaging 19.9 points per game and Sam Donald starts since 2018 that is the fewest points per game by a starter minimum of 25 stars so it's just it hasn't been good the team isn't any good around Sam Donald but also he's not playing well either and if he would have played somewhat decently mediocre if he would have played mediocre last week, they would have beaten the Buffalo Bills, but he just couldn't even do that. He just was terrible. And I'm seeing a lot of things where people are saying that Pittsburgh should make a move so they did Sam Darnold. It's like, why? Why would they do that? Do people not understand that they spent a second round pick on fucking Mason Rudolph? Like, do people not understand that? How many times do I have to say this to people? They spent a second round pick on Mason Rudolph. They believe in the guy. For some reason, I don't know, but they believe in him. They had a first round grade on Mason Rudolph. They're not going to just give up on him now. The whole Jameis stiff. Why? Why would they sign Jameis Winston? Why? Well, if Big Ben gets hurt, well, they're going to go to Mason Rudolph again. That's what they're going to do. They took a, it's a second round pick. Like, I don't understand. I really don't get it. People just do not think about anything at all. Same thing with Dwayne Haskins. I'm reading things that Pittsburgh should really go after Dwayne Haskins. No, no. Why would they trade? Why would they trade for a guy? that they already have that they believe can be the heir apparent to Big Ben. Ugh. It's just like people just don't, they just write shit just to write shit. It's so, it's so annoying. But Jets stink. We know the Jets stink. Le'Veon Bell is coming from the Jets. So Le'Veon Bell, two of his six carries last week went for 16 plus yards. So Le'Veon Bell only had one carry of 15 plus yards in 264 carries with the Jets. That's just how pathetic the Jets were and you know it was kind of frustrating because I am I'm a big Le'Veon Bell fan and you know it sucked when he left Pittsburgh or whatever and when he went to the Jets I was kind of like okay but you know it turned out the way you thought it was going to turn out the the line was terrible the offense is terrible the whole team's terrible and he was going to look like a scrub over there and he did and a lot of people were saying oh well he stunk the whole time it was all Pittsburgh no Le'Veon Bell is a really good running back he just needs to be in a place that has a competent offense and a pretty good offensive line and that's exactly what Kansas City is here and he's going to show people he's still got a lot left in the tank and I'm a big Le'Veon Bell guy I still think he's one of the best backs in the league and he's only going to show it here in Kansas City and this is a really good this is a good plus matchup for him also Clyde Edwards Hilaire is probably going to go crazy against the Jets I mean their rush defense is terrible is Andy Reid probably going to do and Eric Bellamy going to do you know a little extra effort to get Le'Veon Bell some scores against the Jets in revenge game I guess maybe but I don't know I I, I think it's still going to be a lot of just Clyde Edwards Hilaire so I think I think he's still going to be the number one guy for a while here. Who knows? Kansas City might put up 50 points in this one. Who knows? Unless they just completely take their foot off the gas like they did against Denver last week. Next game, we'll get into the 1-5 Minnesota Vikings at the 5-1 Green Bay Packers. So Minnesota comes in with a 21st ranked offense, 25th passing, 11th rushing, and the 19th overall defense. Green Bay comes in with the 18th overall offense, 19th passing, 13th rushing, and the 7th overall defense. So Green Bay, they've won three straight versus Minnesota. Aaron Rodgers, he has the highest passer rating versus Minnesota by any player in the Super Bowl era with a 108.4. He's absolutely dominated the Minnesota Vikings. He's done it ever since he became the day one starter. He did it week one against them. It was his best passing game of the season. So it's probably gonna be more of the same. 
Minnesota is probably worse than they were when they started this season. So this is not going to be good for the Vikings at all. This is going to be a bloodbath. Matt LaFleur, as much as I shit on the guy and I, I don't really care for him too much, He's, he, I mean, his record speaks for itself. He's 18-4 as a head coach. His record is the best in NFL history through 20 games. So it helps when you have Aaron Rodgers. It sure as hell does. I mean, Mike McCarthy's a Super Bowl champion, and people regarded him as a pretty good coach when he had Aaron Rodgers. And now you look at him in Dallas, you're like, oh, this guy fucking stinks. Yeah, he does. And he's always has. He just... He had the pleasure of, of coaching Aaron Rodgers for as long as he did. So quarterbacks make a difference. They really do. They really do. And, you know, Adam Gase, he's a horrible head coach. But when he was an offensive coordinator and he had Peyton Manning grace him with his presence and settle his records with his mediocre offense, people still say, oh, Adam Gase, he's a good head coach. He should be a head coach. No, no, he shouldn't. He just, he should coach Peyton Manning. That Everyone should coach Peyton Manning. That's, that's what I'll say. That's what I recommend to everyone. Coach Peyton Manning, then you'll get head coaching jobs for the rest of your life. Kirk Cousins, he has a sub-90 passer rating for the first time since 2014. So everyone likes to pile on Kirk Cousins, make fun of Kirk Cousins, but he's been a very dependable starting quarterback. You can't say that about a lot of guys, but he's not he's not Tom Brady, he's not Peyton Manning, he's not Drew Brees. You know, he's he's a middle of the pack starting quarterback in this league and there's not a lot of those, honestly. There's 32 teams. There's not that many guys who you'd be like, "Oh yeah, I'd put him anywhere and he could be my starting quarterback." There's not really a lot of them. So, I mean, you're going to get what you get with Kirk Cousins. He's going to have a couple good games. He's going to have a couple great throws in a game. And he's going to have a bunch of bad, stupid decisions that he's going to make. And it's going to probably cost you the football game. Like, it's probably going to happen on Sunday here. So, Minnesota, though, their defense is really the problem. Yeah, everyone wants to pile on Kirk Cousins, like I'm saying. And the offense isn't the same without Stefanski. That's all true. But the defense is really bad. They're they're allowing 32 points per game and 413 yards per game. That's the most in team history. So this defense just is really bad. Really, 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 really bad. And it's not helping. It's not helping Kirk Cousins kind of alleviate those turnovers. And you can kind of gloss over him because the defense would kind of have his back the past couple of years. And he would be like, oh, that wasn't a complete nightmare. But every time he turns the ball over, Minnesota is just giving up points immediately afterwards. So uh, it's just, they're not in unison there. The offense and the defense and nothing's really working for Minnesota at all. So it'd be kind of interesting to see if they tear down because you got the trade deadline coming this week. So who knows if they make a move or two. They already got rid of Ngakwe. So who else will ship out there? Who who knows? But, but for Minnesota, it's not going to be any better. So seven of their next 10 games are versus teams above 500. So just a murderer's row coming up for them shortly. And it is not going to get any better for the Vikings, but they will have a nice draft pick to look forward to in April, I guess, if you're looking at it like a glass half full kind of guy. Next game, we'll get into the 4-2 and two Indianapolis Colts at the 3-3 three and three Detroit Lions. Indianapolis comes in with the 22nd ranked offense, 17th passing, 32nd rushing, and the second overall defense. Detroit, 26th offensively, 23rd passing, 28th rushing, and the 14th overall defense. So it's kind of a weird thing here. So Detroit has lost six straight games at home. That's the longest active streak. They're 5-13 and 13 at home since 2018. That's the second worst record. It's kind of insane to think that someone has a worse record than that. But Detroit is, they have no idea what a home field advantage is. Every time they're at home, they're like, ah, shit. We, it's, it's basically, it might as well just be a road game for us. So very, this is this is a really weird game. I can't really put my finger on which one, who, who I think is going to win this game. I think my gut is telling me that Detroit's going to win this game. But like, if you look at it, the kind of your brain will go, Indianapolis should win this game. They had the second overall defense, like I said. They're number two against the run. I, I don't know. This this is a really this is a this is a coin flip here. But I still I think Detroit wins this game. They're playing really good football right now, and their record is three and three. But their three losses have come against teams that are combined fourteen and five. I mean this is a this is a pretty good football team. And for Indianapolis, they're four and two, but. Four of the previous six opponents the Colts have faced have had one win or fewer. So what are we looking at here? What is this record telling us? I I don't know. I mean, Indianapolis hasn't really played anybody. Detroit has played some pretty good teams. They're three and three. Indianapolis beat up on a bunch of nobodies, really. I mean, I don't know. I mean, the last good team we pl- we saw Indianapolis play, they got really their asses handed to them by Cleveland. So uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. This game is. This game is really weird. This game is really weird. So Detroit, they've only allowed one 300-yard passer this season. That was Matt Bryant last week. I don't know. And uh, is Rivers going to do that? Probably not. I mean, he did it against. Cincinnati last week, but we saw what Baker, I mean, the last time we saw Indianapolis play, and we saw what Baker just did to Cincinnati last week. So I don't know. If you look at Rivers so far, 2020, he's been 
meh. It's been a roller coaster ride. 266 yards per game, seven touchdowns, six interceptions, and a 93 quarterback rating. Matthew Stafford, 263 yards per game, 10 touchdowns, four picks, a 94.4 rating. So the beginning of the season, he was kind of he wasn't that great. He's really starting to he's really starting to like sharpen up the past couple of weeks, and he looks really good. He's playing really good football. That game last week against Atlanta was some of the best he's played in a couple of years. I know it was against Atlanta, so I guess I can't take too much from it. But I know this this game is going to be really fun. It's it's going to come down to which quarterback makes the dumber decision at the end. That's usually how it goes for a Detroit Lions or you know a Philip Rivers led team. So this will this will come down to the last couple of minutes. It seems to do that in every single Detroit Lion game. Next game we'll get into the five and one Tennessee Titans, fresh off their loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers at the one five and one Cincinnati Bengals. So Tennessee comes in with the 16th ranked offense, 21st passing, 9th rushing, and the 16th overall defense for Cincinnati. The 13th offense in the league, eighth passing, 22nd rushing, and 26th defensively. Cincinnati they're allowing the fifth most rushing yards per game in the NFL with 130. 33.7. That's great for Tennessee because they average 145 rush yards per game. That is the fifth in the league. So it's going to be a lot of Derrick Henry, and that's about it. Uh, it's going to be a lot of Derrick Henry. It should be. He's probably going to have at least like 25, 26 touches, and Joe Mixon isn't going to play again for Cincinnati. So it's going to be a Gio Bernard game again. I mean, it doesn't really matter who Cincinnati is playing. This, the formula is going to be the same. Joe Burrow is going to throw the ball all over the place. Is that going to be successful for them? Who knows? It'll probably be in stretches. I mean, they're averaging over 27 points per game. They're, they're throwing the ball all over the place. Joe Burrow leads the league in attempts. They're chucking. They're slinging the ball. And if you want to beat Tennessee, that's the way you do it. Tennessee, they've allowed two-plus passing touchdowns in five straight games. Joe Burrow has 300-plus passing yards in five of six games. So this kind of lines up as a really good matchup for Joe Burrow. It doesn't line up as a good matchup for Cincinnati's defense against Tennessee's offense with Derrick Henry coming to town. Probably pissed off that, you know, he kind of got shut down by Pittsburgh last week. So doesn't look good for Cincinnati at all. This should be a nice bounce back game for Tennessee here. Cincinnati, I mean, like I said, they're they're the only team with three losses scoring 27 plus points in those games. So their offense is really putting up numbers, but that defense is just, it's not putting up any resistance at all. So it's a reason they only have, you know, one win. Next game we'll get into this one. Maybe possibly a changing of the guard in the AFC East officially. Two and four New England at the five and two Buffalo Bills. Huge game to kind of keep New England's season alive. I mean, if they lose this game, just go ahead and pack it in. The season's over. Probably going to see the last of Cam. It's going to be Jordan Stedham time. And we'll probably never see Cam get another starting job again if he plays like he did the past two weeks. And especially in a big loss against Buffalo, it's it's over for Cam. So that's that's really going to suck. I don't think that's what's going to happen. So we'll look at this real quick, and then we'll, we'll talk about it more. So New England, they're 27th offensively, 30th passing, 7th rushing, and they have the 9th overall defense. Buffalo, they have the 8th overall offense, 5th passing, 26th rushing, and the 21st overall defense. So New England, this has been a pretty one-sided affair. It's not really a rivalry. Again, the you know, a rivalry. The team has to win every now and then, you know, to make it a rivalry. So New England, they're 35-5 and versus Buffalo in the Belichick era. So since 2000, they are 35-5. and That's not really a rivalry. I'm sorry. That's not a rivalry at all. Just because the fans don't like each other, that doesn't make it a rivalry for the teams. One team has been kicking the shit out of the other one for years. New England, they They've scored 12 or fewer points in three straight games for the first time since 1993. So it's been a long time since this offense has been this abysmal. New England, they have one receiving touchdown from a wide receiver. That's fewest in the NFL. And, you know, it's not looking great for that because Julian Edelman, he had knee surgery this week. He's going to be out for a couple weeks. They're putting him on the IR. So it's Denier Bird, Jacoby Myers, and Nikhil Harry time. So yikes, that is not... That's not the wide receiver room that you want right now for a struggling quarterback in Cam Newton. So uh, I don't care who you have back there. That is not a room that's going to give you a lot of confidence. And you can kind of tell that Cam's kind of double patting the ball. He's not trusting what he's seeing because he doesn't really trust these guys right now. And they really haven't given him a reason to trust them. So it's it's going to be tough. But as bad as the wide receivers have been, the tight end room is, is somehow worse. Rob Gronkowski has more touchdowns the past two weeks than New England has had from the tight end position in two years since he's been gone. So they have got zero production out of the tight end. They've had almost no production out of the wide receivers. So, you know, this team needs to get back to, we're going to run the ball 45 times and try and fucking stop us. And Josh McDaniels is creative enough that he can do a lot of stuff that, you know, he did in the first two weeks of the season where some very creative runs and, you know, there were runs for Cam, but they were still, they were designed in a way where you couldn't just sit and try and stop Cam with a lot of window dressing before the snap 
happen. They've kind of gotten away from that stuff. And Josh McDaniel said it himself. He needs to figure out ways to get Cam more comfortable throughout this week and then figure out a way to execute it on Sunday. So I'm expecting, I don't want to say this is like a last stand for Cam Newton, but it kind of is. And I expect him to kind of put up a fight here and be like, hey, this is still my fucking job. I'm, you know, I said that I'm coming back. I'm an angry dog and I'm fired up and I'm ready to go. Hopefully that's how he plays this Sunday because, you know, this Bill's defense, it's ripe for the picking and it's ripe for the picking with a run-heavy offense because right up the middle, defensive tackle, linebacker, they're very weak up there. That's probably the, the biggest weakness of this Buffalo team is rushing the football right up the middle at them. And it's, it spells like it could be, you know, that bounce back game for this this New England offense and they've done a really good job against Josh Allen and are they going to continue that uh I don't know it, it doesn't help that Stefan Gilmore looks like he's not going to play this week he popped up with the injury report like Wednesday with a knee so without him that's gonna be tough especially with Stefan Diggs coming in there now so I don't I it's hard for me to pick Buffalo here and I just there's something about that just kind of like they have some kind of like hold over Buffalo where it's like you're never going to beat us. You know, when you just see Belichick over there, it's like how we're never going to beat these guys ever. We're 35 and fucking five in 20 years. Like how how am I supposed to pick against that? Regardless of what's on the field, how am I supposed to pick against that? Until Buffalo proves that they can beat New England, I'm not. I'm not picking. I'm not picking Buffalo. So I think I think New England's gonna win this game. I think they're kind of like, hey, we're still here. You know, remember us. You know, we barely, we just, we almost beat Kansas City on a Tuesday night in Kansas City. You know, with Jared Stedham back there. You know, so this is a good team. It's a good defense. They didn't play very well against San Francisco last week. Nothing worked out for them last week. I think you can just burn the tape on that one. But uh, the part of me is just kind of holding out hope that New England's got that last little. That last fight in them, and they're not going to go down. They're going to go down swinging against Buffalo, and they're not going to just give up the AFCs that easily. So I'm I'm picking New England in this one. That's that's what my gut is telling me here because Buffalo, they're 0 2 versus 2019 playoff teams. They're 5 0 against teams that didn't make the playoffs. They they're beating up on nobodies, and when they're playing real teams. They don't look that great. Bills, they've scored less than 20 points in three straight games. They're averaging 25 plus in the first four. So I was saying, I was like, eh, is this fluky? Is this are they frauds? think so and I, st- I still think they are and this is this is the ultimate test right here if Josh Allen can go and he could beat New England he could beat Bill Belichick who has kind of had his number since he's come to the league and he's done this to multiple young quarterbacks then okay I'll stop with the fraud stuff and I'm like okay Buffalo is is legit but until they do that they're still frauds to me so I expect I expect New England to win on Sunday I really do another game we'll get into two and four Los Angeles Chargers at the two and four Denver Broncos this is two pretty mediocre football teams here going against each other division rivals so who can really call these games here Chargers they come in with the 14th offense 14th passing 16th rushing and the 13th overall defense so it's kind of confusing looking at those numbers and thinking this is a two and four football team. They have better ranks than most teams in the league. Like if you look at the Bears, you're like, how do they not have a better record than the Bears? But I don't. That's just Los Angeles. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, that's just the Chargers. I don't know. I don't get what it is. There's some kind of like hex or something on them. But it's one of the most snake bitten teams in all of professional sports. You got like the Knicks, and then you got the Chargers. I I don't know what the hell it is, man. I, I feel so bad for those people. Denver. They have the 31st ranked offense, 29th passing, 24th rushing. They have the fourth overall defense. So the defense is playing really good football. I mean, if Drew Locke wasn't just giving the ball away last week, you know, and they had a kick return for a touchdown by Pringle and they just they just weren't helping their defense at all their offense that is they you know that could have been a really close game against Kansas City but Locke has been terrible he's been giving the ball away way too often if you look Locke he has more interceptions the past two games than he did his first seven starts so again it's just it looks like he's regressing because towards the end of the year first seven starts like man uh, John Elway did it he found his guy he finally found his dude from Brock Osweiler and all this shit he found him this is the dude he wanted and he kind of just doesn't look like that guy right now. So hopefully he can get it right because if you look at Locke's numbers, 55 completion percentage, 169 yards per game, one touchdown, four picks. He's got a 63 rating. That's that's just not going to get it done, especially when you look at what Herbert's doing right now. 67 completion percentage, 308 yards per game, 12 touchdowns, three picks, 108 rating. I think he has like four rushing touchdowns as well. He's just getting it done in every single way. And Drew Locke is kind of shooting Denver in the foot every chance he gets. So I don't know. You would think that's the Chargers would run away with this game, but that doesn't seem like a very Los Angeles Chargers kind of thing. So this will probably somehow be a tooth and nail kind of fight your way into a win here for them against Denver. But who knows? I mean, who knows? Denver might be able to pull out a win here. Uh, I, I really don't know. 
who cares anyway, you know? They're fighting for who's going to be third place in that division, so it doesn't really matter that much, you know? Next game, we'll get into the 4-2 New Orleans Saints at the 5-2 Chicago Bears. New Orleans comes in with a 20th-ranked offense, 16th passing, 20th rushing, and the third overall defense. Chicago, they had the 23rd offense. It's, it's kind of crazy to think that there are teams that have a worse offense than the Bears, but they're 23rd, 20th passing, 31st rushing, 15th overall defense. So entering week eight, New Orleans, they have the fewest big plays this season. So that's rushes of 10 plus yards and passes of 20 plus yards. So that's kind of makes sense, right? Because they're just not getting those home run plays. They might get Michael Thomas back, but again, that's not a guy who's home run play, dude. He's, you know, a lot of slants, a lot of intermediate route stuff. He's not like throw the go down to him and he'll, you know, make a big play. It's kind of just, he's a dependable guy and that'll really help Drew Brees out a lot. I think getting Emmanuel Sanders back this week too is going to help them out a lot. So we're going to see what this offense looks like finally. It's been since week one since they've had everything together. So we'll see if, because I mean, Drew Brees is starting to play some really good football and maybe with the full complement of receivers, he'll start trying to drive the ball down the field a little bit more, but it's not going to be easy against this Bears defense. This Bears defense is really good. It's just unfortunate that they are put in some really bad situations by their offense. And I don't think it's going to get any better this week. And who knows? Maybe we'll get a Mitchell Trubisky sighting again. Um, one could only hope because watching Nick Foles is terrible. I'd rather watch paint dry. Alvin Kamara, he has 100-plus yards from scrimmage and five straight games. It's the longest streak in the NFL. I was just reading today, too. He is pro football focus's highest-graded receiver. Yeah, Alvin Kamara, the running back, is the highest-graded receiver in football right now. He is on another level. He's doing everything possible, and it's not even he's just doing everything. He's doing everything exceptionally well. He's playing. He looks like the best running back in football right now, the way he's playing, and just he's got the complete game going. So really fun. Again, I'm just praying and hoping to God he has a healthy bill of health the rest of the season because he is one of the funnest dudes in the league to watch. The Saints offense is one of the funnest to watch when everything is going. So maybe, I don't know, this is a good test for the offense against this Bears defense. Breeze, though, and against Chicago, last four games, he has eight touchdowns, no interceptions. So Breeze has kind of had Chicago's number here. Chicago's defense, they're allowing an opponent quarterback rating of only 78. That's the third lowest in the league. So this defense, it's really goddamn good. And they've had about six or seven defensive touchdowns taken back because of penalties already this season. They are really good. And it's just, if they just had a decent quarterback, a decent quarterback, this team would be so good. And it's just, it doesn't. And if you don't have a a decent quarterback and you don't have a legitimate passing game that's why your rush offense is 31st in the league David Montgomery is really talented and he just has no room to work at all because nobody's afraid of what the Bears are doing in the passing game like you can kind of load the box up and be like ah, screw it what, what are you going to beat me with Foles is going to miss Allen Robinson by 20 yards on a deep ball who cares same thing on Mitch it was like yeah who cares throw it please please throw it don't run don't run, but I don't know. Nagy's got to figure something out. He's supposed to be this offensive guru and this genius. You got to figure out something to fix this rush game. I think they're only averaging 88 yards per game rushing. That's dead last in the league. You got to figure it out, man. You got to figure it out. And putting in Cordell Patterson is not it. And it's kind of, I was watching the game last night and Curtis Samuel is doing a really great job of being, you know, a running back inside the twenties. And he's, you know, he scored five rushing touchdowns and since 2017, like he's been great, but it just kind of was like, fuck. That means Nagy is seeing that and goes, see, it works. Uh, I'll keep doing Cordell Patterson. No, no, stop it. Just stop with the Cordell Patterson stuff. It's insane. It really is. Just stop it. David Montgomery, David Montgomery, all the time. Just all the time. Stop with the Cordell Patterson stuff. It doesn't work, man. And then Chicago, they're the only team averaging less than 20 points per game. They're only at 19.5. That are above 500. All the other teams that are averaging less than 20 points per game, they're a combined 7 and 26. So again, I say this every week. Why are the Bears winning games? Why are they 5 and 2? Why? Just why? It, you look at all these numbers and you just dig through it all. And it doesn't make any sense. It do, Zero. Makes zero sense. There's no, oh, yeah, that. No. It makes no sense that they're 5-2. and two. So I don't see them beating New Orleans this week. I really don't. Unless Drew Brees really shits the bed and he kind of plays like he did the first two weeks of the year. Sure, I'll give Chicago a chance, but I just, I don't see it. I, I don't see the Bears winning this game. So move on to the next game. The 4-3 San Francisco 49ers at the 5-1 Seahawks coming off the first loss of the season to Arizona. San Francisco, I talk about every week. I mean, this is the seventh offense in the league through really just horrible quarterback play. I won't even call it mediocre. It's been really bad quarterback play. And they still have the seventh ranked offense. They're still 13th passing. They're fifth rushing. And they're the 11th overall defense. Even with that defense being as decimated as it is with injuries. And 
the really shitty positions that a Nick Mullins, a C.J. Beathard, and a Jimmy Garoppolo have put them at times. They're still the 11th overall defense. For Seattle, they're 12th offensively, 10th passing, 15th rushing, and they are 29th defensively. That comes no shock to anybody. George Kittle, usually a monster and a killer against any single team. Not against Seattle, though. He's only averaging 46 yards per game in five games versus Seattle. That's the second fewest versus a team he faces multiple times. So... Uh, I don't know what it is with them, and I think Jamal Adams is coming back this week too, and that was probably a big reason why they got Jamal Adams was trying to neutralize George Kittle. So he's usually tough sledding for Kittle. So that means like Brandon Ayuk and you know Kendrick Bourne, like these dudes need to step up, and Jimmy's got to get the ball to wide receivers for a change. I know it's scary, it's scary, Jimmy. I know, but you got to throw the ball to wide receivers sometime, okay? You can do it, man. Shanahan schemes this shit up to where it's seriously. I say it every week. It's bowling with the goddamn bumpers up. It's not hard man it's not it's really not you saw what Kirk Cousins was doing with Kyle Shanahan you know Matt Ryan had an MVP season with Kyle Shanahan like it's it's not hard dude so you got it man I I guess I I don't think so I have no confidence in Jimmy Garoppolo but it is what it is so San Francisco the biggest point of this entire season so far has been the defense holding teams under 24 points per game that's where they need to stay at because that's comfortably that kind of that number that that offense can get to realistically you know they're 0-3 when they give up more than 24 points per game even those games they probably shouldn't have lost those games because the offense couldn't you know generate enough points so that's a big thing and I mean that's gonna be a tough task at Seattle because Seattle is one of four teams this year to score three plus touchdowns in every single game this season Russell Wilson he's 12 and four a career versus the 49ers you know 10% of Russell Wilson's throws are for a touchdown that's insane that's by far the highest rate by any quarterback in the Super Bowl era 10% of his throws are a touchdown like most quarterbacks are at like a three or a four he's at a fucking 10 it's nuts it's this team is so dependent on russell wilson it's it's bonkers i can't think of a team that's been so just reliant on just one dude in the nfl you know like it's like even those peyton manning teams in indianapolis they still had a pretty decent team all around him and the defense was serviceable at times i mean brady's teams speak for themselves are some of the best teams ever like russell wilson it's just it's russ or nothing and i just uh, i don't know how far that goes but i mean they did they 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 listened to the show i guess i guess sneaky pete was listening and i told him you're not gonna win the super bowl you're not gonna win shit unless you get after the passer so he was like okay i hear you tom i'm i'm, I'm trying so they did acquire carlos dunlap from the cincinnati Bengals. it's a huge move they needed somebody to get after the quarterback carlos dunlap is one of the best at his position at pressuring the quarterback so and they got him for a late pick and bj finney former pittsburgh sealer bj finney so great move and i don't think they're done dealing yet i heard they were still trying to call some teams to figure out if they can get some pass rush health from somewhere else but it's a good move and especially thinking about how they gave up almost nothing for him a guy who wasn't even getting used at all in cincinnati really so it's a good move it's a really good move and it's going to help this defense out like immensely like anybody coming in there would have helped so to get Carlos Dunlap for a steal like they did really really great move and I think it's really going to help Seattle out a whole whole lot so Sunday night football Jesus Christ man just why like why do I have to stay up for this this is punishment like why because it's Dallas I have to stay up to watch Dallas a two and five Cowboys team who just got their ass whipped by the Washington football team I have to watch them on primetime football with their third string quarterback come on man come on and don't try and spin it out the NFC East is on the line I don't give a shit that that division sucks okay it sucks and you know what really sucks is one of those teams is gonna have home fucking playoff game that's what really sucks i'm so i can't believe this i have to listen to chris collinsworth try and talk about the dallas cowboys and spin it in a positive way oh my god so dallas even with the bullshit that they've put out the past two weeks they have the third ranked offense in the nfl dak prescott is good okay dak prescott is good they're the third ranked offense still they are second in the league in passing. Matt Bryant just passed Dak Prescott in passing yards last week in the fourth quarter. That's how good Dak Prescott was. That's how good this offense was with Dak Prescott. They're 19th rushing the football. So Ezekiel Elliott has not been very good, especially even more so now that they need him to really be Zeke Zeke. And he, he just hasn't been that guy. And they're 27th defensively. Philadelphia, 15th offensively, 18th passing, 12th rushing, the 18th overall defense. Like I said, first place in the NFC East. It's on the line for anybody who wants it. And it seems like nobody wants it. So I don't know the way this has been going for the NFC East. This will end in a goddamn tie. Uh, would I be shot? No, no, I would not be shot. So, so no team 
has repeated as its NFC East champion since 2001 through 2004 at Philadelphia Eagles. That's a 15-season drought, and that is the longest span without a repeat division winner in NFL history. So this division has just been hot potato. Like, you know, Eagles will win it, Giants will win it, Cowboys will win it. I'm not going to say Washington will win it, but it's just been revolving door, and no one can just be consistent enough for... (laughs) two seasons it's uh, it's pathetic it's really pathetic to watch so so ben nanucci gucci nanucci shout out to pft i he i don't know what else to say about him mike mccarthy said he practices hard and you know he's in every film session and he's ready to go okay sure he is man uh, i mean <laughs> but what else is he gonna say yeah this guy really sucks and we're fucked i mean of course he's gonna say yeah he looks really good i'm excited for him to start what else is he going to say, man? Even though he was still kind of holding out hope that Andy Dalton could play this Sunday. he was even, I was just watching him on Inside the NFL at his press conference. He was saying, you know, Andy, you know, he was in the meetings. And, you know, if he can get a practice in tomorrow, maybe. It's like, you don't want this Nanucci guy to start, obviously. And Hey, oh, fucking Nanucci. Hey, I mean, this guy is going to stink. This game is going to stink. Uh, who knows? Maybe he'll just come in and he'll light, the, he'll light the world on fire. And then Jerry Jones will be like, see, this is why I didn't pay Dak Prescott. Because I had Gucci Nanucci. That's why. That's why I didn't pay Dak Prescott. Galaxy brain. See, I'm a genius. That's not what's going to happen at all. So Dallas, they are allowing 34.7 points per game this season. So I don't need to tell you that would be the worst in franchise history. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Dallas's defense, they only have one interception so far this season. That is the fewest through seven games in franchise history. Dallas, they've scored 10 or fewer points in consecutive games for the first time since weeks 10, 11, and 12 in 2017. That was when Ezekiel Elliott was suspended for those games. Carson Wentz, he is 3-4 and four versus Dallas in his career. That is the only NFC East team that he does not have a winning record against is the Cowboys. So we'll look at Wentz here. So so the first four games of the season, he was averaging 235 yards per game, four touchdowns, seven picks, and a 66.9 rating. He was just giving out the ball at an alarming rate, and you're thinking, is this guy going to set the record for interceptions starting in the season? I don't know. It looks like it. Last three games, 276 yards per game, six touchdowns, three picks, 84.4 rating. So he's playing a lot better. He's still getting off to really slow starts. And, you know, he's playing hard. I get it. But you got to play a complete football game. You got to give us a full four quarters against this team and look if Carson Wentz struggles against this team I don't know what else to say anymore I I'm I'm out okay I'm out if this was Shark Tank I'd Mark Cuban just going I'm out I don't want anything to do with Carson Wentz anymore if he struggles on Sunday night against this horrendous Dallas defense I'm done I'm selling all my shares on Carson Wentz I'm done and I'm not going to defend him anymore if you're going to joke about him and you're going to shit on him go for it I'm not going to put up a fight anymore so and I, I was at that point with Baker Mayfield at the end of the first quarter last week I was like you know what I think it's time to sell all my shares and then he stepped up he had a big game and thankfully I didn't have to do that this week but Carson Wentz by about midnight I better say you know Carson Wentz just had his greatest game of his career in prime time so I'm really I'm really hoping I can't I can't stay up late at night to watch Carson Wentz stink it up I'm not gonna do it so hopefully Carson has a really good game and it better not be like what it was against the Giants last week what the hell was that like he was terrible most of it he made some pretty good throws but he made some dumb throws and just this Giants defense is terrible you should really be doing whatever you want it I don't care about the receivers I get it they stink but still come on let's 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 make it happen I mean it doesn't matter who's playing at receiver they've, they've been suited up and they played against Dallas they've had career nights so let's do it it's time for Carson Wentz to kind of unleash himself get back to that MVP form you gotta at least one game against Dallas you gotta do it just give me a little hope here so this game is gonna be so bad so bad why are all these primetime games stink why do they do this every year like almost every primetime game stinks I get it. I mean, this should have been a good game on paper. I mean, if Dak wouldn't have broke his leg, this would be a really good, fun shootout. But unfortunately, it's not even... We have to watch Andy Dalton. Thank God we don't have to watch Dalton, but we got to watch Danucci here. So, Ugh, whatever, man. Uh, Monday Night Football, not much better. At least we get to watch Tom Brady work, I guess. That's, uh, that's exciting. The 5-2 and two Tampa Bay Bucks at the 1-6 and six New York Giants again. Giants have more primetime games of the Pittsburgh Steelers. All good. So I just, I don't know what's going on here, but you know, we get to watch Daniel Jones at primetime again. Two weeks in a row, we get to watch primetime Daniel Jones. You know, no, this is, this, yeah, I forgot they played on Thursday night. So this is the third primetime game for the New York Giants. Third, third. This is going to be the third primetime game for the Philadelphia Eagles too. So uh, I, I don't get it. So 
whatever, man. But we get to watch Tom Brady work. That's cool, I guess. So Tampa Bay comes in with the ninth ranked offense, sixth passing, 17th rushing, and the fifth overall defense. That's the big key there. That that five defense, that number five defense. That's that's the key right there. That's why this team is five and two. You know, you look at the gaudy numbers that Brady is starting to put up now, but that defense has been lights out the whole year. It's going to carry them as long as they can. You know afford to carry them and with Antonio Brown being worked on the fold Chris Godwin's going to be out for a week or two maybe this is going to be a good time for Brady Brown get into r- rhythm and he's still got to get into rhythm with, with Mike Evans I mean Mike Evans he didn't see a ball until you know the fourth quarter last week and I'm sure he's real happy about winning but I'm sure he's probably pretty pissed off he's not going to meet any of his incentive bonuses in his contract so and I'm sure he wasn't too thrilled with Antonio Brown taking more food out of his mouth so I don't that's very interesting to see how that works out so that's probably the most intriguing thing of this entire game, honestly. There's not much else you can do. I mean, hopefully Daniel Jones trips and makes a buffoon out of himself again, or he has a, a really funny turnover somehow. But yeah, that's that's about how as entertaining as this game is going to be. Giants, they have the 30th ranked offense, 28th passing, 23rd rushing, 20th overall defense. So Tom Brady, he's never lost to a one-win team in week eight or later in the season of his entire career. Starting quarterbacks 23 or younger are 1-12 versus Tom since 2017. The only one to win that was my son, Lamar Jackson. All right, so let's look at Gronk. At a really good time making fun of Gronk, saying he looks like shit. Looks like The Undertaker. He was like Shawn Michaels, blah, blah, blah. First five games, it was warranted. He looked terrible. 20 targets, 12 receptions, 140 yards, zero touchdowns. So the last two games, 16 targets, 10 catches, 140 yards, two touchdowns. Gronk looks like he's back. And that's really scary for the rest of the NFL because this offense was pretty good without him. And he's really just going to add another level to this team. And just the rich keep getting richer, man. And Antonio Brown comes in and he's not a knucklehead. That's just good luck stopping that offense, man. Just good luck. The Giants, they're only averaging 11 points per game versus non-NFC opponents this season. They're averaging over 25 and a half versus the other NFC East team. So, oh boy, this is going to be rough. I'm going to want to rip my eyeballs out. And it's not going to be very good at all. It's another game where... I'm staying up until 11 o'clock at night to watch the Giants get killed by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's like, why? Why did we do this? Like, when the schedule came out, like, why? Why was it like, oh, you know what? Tom Brady versus the Giants on Monday night in week eight. That's a good matchup. No, it's not. That sucks. That's horrible. You should have made Seattle and San Francisco the Monday night game then. What the fuck? This should be a one o'clock game. You know what? This should be like on London time where they start at 9 a.m. for no reason. So I wake up and the game is already over. So whatever, man. The scheduling department. I don't know what the hell they're doing with these primetime games like this. I mean, Atlanta and Carolina last night. Really? Was that going to be a compelling game coming into the season? Did we really think so? Sure. Whatever, man. I guess you have to give every team a primetime game, I guess. Whatever. Except for Pittsburgh. All good. So that's that's week eight. It should be a pretty compelling you know, we got some really good rivalry games. We got Seattle and San Francisco. Those games are always close and really good. Baltimore and Pittsburgh is always really good. Minnesota and Green Bay usually have some kind of entertainment value. We got Cowboys and Eagles, you know, a rivalry game. Chargers and Broncos, rivalry game. So it's rivalry week they're talking about. So a big one, Buffalo, New England. It's a really big one. It's time for Buffalo to step up and say, hey, we're not the little brother anymore. We're the big bro now. So don't try and pick on us anymore. But it's all dependent on Josh Allen's play. If Josh Allen can come out and he can play the way he was the first four games of the season, it's be a pretty easy win for Buffalo over New England. But if he struggles, if if, he, if they play like they did against the Jets last week, they're losing to New England, and then it's going to be it's going to be a tailspin for Buffalo after that one. I'm just telling you, that's that's a confidence breaker. That's that's really going to take them down a dark path here. So that's football, and you know, baseball season came to an end on Tuesday night, like I figured it would. It didn't look like it for a while. Blake Snell was dealing. He was pitching some of the best he's ever pitched in his life and in the biggest stage and he was about to set up and get his team a game seven opportunity and then Kevin Cash comes in and goes yeah I'm gonna I'm, I'm going to the bullpen dude and it's like oh man like as soon as it happened just like I felt sick to my stomach because you knew this was not gonna work out it just it wasn't gonna work out there's no way it could keep working out you know Houston and in, in game seven it worked out just it barely worked out like as soon as he took as soon as he took homeboy Charlie Morton out sorry he took Charlie Morton out and then Houston gets first and third in three straight innings and it just doesn't they sneak out of there like you knew it wasn't going to keep working and within six pitches they're down and that's that's it and they lose the World Series you know and you know you're supposed to do what gets you there right and that's what Kevin Cash has been doing all year he's been going to his bullpen that's that's his thinking 
you know, once you get to the sixth, it's time to get the bullpen in there. And, you know, when you do that all year, your bullpen gets a little taxed. And we saw, you know, me living in Baltimore, you saw it happen a lot with Buck Walter's time in Baltimore. He went to the bullpen way too many times and they get gassed at the end. And he did the same thing when he was with the Yankees. And sometimes the managers just do that and it doesn't work out. And La Russa did it a lot for the Cardinals. And, you know, I'll get to La Russa in a second, but it just, it sucks that Kevin Cash had a really great season. He managed his ass off. He did a really great job, man. He got these Rays playing out of their minds. They really overachieved, and you know they were a better decision away from having a Game Seven, an opportunity to win the World Series. And kind of just sucks that Blake Snell didn't get a say in that end because he was playing, he was pitching incredibly. And just to think, like I know analytics is really important, but at the end of the day, we're losing feel for the game. You can just watch and just feel like Blake Snell's in control right now. We're good. Like we'll we'll re. Like, we'll look at this again in the seventh inning. If he looks a little bad, his velocity's starting to lose it a little bit, sure, we'll go to the bullpen then. Then you can justify it, but he was cruising, man. To give up his first hit, and they're like, all right, bullpen time. What the f- Let him work out of it, dude. Like, we're just losing the feel for the game in baseball. We're just losing it. And speaking of losing feel, the Chicago White Sox hired Tony La Russa, 9,000-year-old Tony La Russa, to come in and manage a bunch of young kids. And it's insane. So... Tony La Russa managed Dusty fucking Baker. That's your guy who's managing. You hired that guy to manage your team. He's been out of baseball for nine years managing. He was considered a dinosaur and a relic when he was managing for the Cardinals. He was stubborn. He was anti-analytics. And the game was getting away from him. So they moved on from Tony La Russa. So now is the time to bring in Tony La Russa. I don't get it. It makes no sense. It's just one of those moves that you do and I don't know, like MLB the show where you're like, I just need a big name coach. So I'm, I'm going to do Tony La Russa. Wait, why do you Ford not pick up the phone? Did you didn't dig him up? Like, what are we doing here, man? I don't get it. Why would you hire Tony La Russa? Why? Why, why, why? They just had a really successful season. They overachieved. They made the postseason. They didn't play very great in the postseason. Sure, that happens. But to kind of blow it up and just be like, Tony La Russa, why? I don't get It's just a stupid move by just a stupid organization. The White Sox have been just in their own way since they won the World Series. And ugh, it's this is going to go bad for Tony Russo. It's not going to go well. And it sucks because I hold Tony Russo very close to my heart. He brought me a lot of happy times as a St. Louis Cardinals fan. But the, the game is, is far past Tony Russo. We knew that nine years ago. I just don't understand in 2020 how this is the dude that you're going to bring in and what? Like win your World Series? I Okay, dude. I, I just don't see it. I really, really don't see it. But, uh, you know, that's... Have fun with that, Chicago. I don't know what you're doing. And then I just got the thing where A.J. Hinch, the disgraced former Astros manager, is now he's got a gig with the Detroit Detroit Tigers. I almost said Lions, but who gives a shit? <laughs> you know, Detroit's terrible too, so it doesn't really matter. You know, just hide all your trash cans in Detroit, I guess, because they're probably going to come up missing. They need to... Uh, they need to get some trash cans so they can start, you know, getting that cheating thing going there in Detroit. And it doesn't even matter if Detroit cheats or not. They just don't have the talent to win either way. So maybe they should let them cheat. Let them do the whole trash can thing and see if it works. That's, yeah, they should do that. Major League Baseball should do that. They should do an experiment where, let's see if the Astros' talent had anything to do with the cheating or anybody could just do what they were doing and it would work. That's a perfect place to try with the Detroit Tigers. So, I'm yeah, I'm for it. They should do it. They should allow A.J. Hinch to just openly cheat, do exactly what he was doing in Houston, and see if it works. See if, it, you know, the talent makes a difference or not. Um, that's a really good experiment they should do. They're not going to do that, but, you know, it would probably make the Detroit Tigers a little more interesting than they are. So that's a little baseball there. Baseball's all wrapped up. Baseball's done. And then NBA, they're still, it looks like we're getting Christmas Day now as the opening game, which is cool. Still way too early, but... You know, I think the only teams that are going to be fine with it are the teams that weren't in the Western Conference Finals, Eastern Conference Finals, and in the Finals. I think you're going to get a little bit of pushback from them on that because it's like, hey, you know, we're going to get two months off, but everybody else, it's going to be close to four or five months off. So, you know, and then they just opened up all the facilities. So all the, all 30 teams are allowed to practice this week. So that's exciting stuff. And Daryl Morey, the biggest news was, you know, he was relieved of his duties in Houston and now he is on board with Philadelphia and he is running their basketball operations. So, it's going to be pretty interesting to see if he takes his Maury ball with him to Philadelphia. I don't think they have any of the pieces to do that, but 
wouldn't be shocked if Joel Embiid is dangled out there for Mr. James Harden. Um, you know, I was reading some people were saying that they should trade they should trade Joel Embiid for Russell Westbrook. Could you imagine Russell Westbrook and Ben Simmons on the court at the same time? Jesus Christ, they're gonna dent the hell out of the rim. The rim's gonna fall off. Jesus. But you know, I I I've fucked around with the trade machine this morning and I've I made a couple that worked out with, you know, the framework of Harden and Bead, probably for like Josh Richardson. Or I think that works out. You know, Houston gets a big man with Russ and then kind of put in some intermediate pieces around him with Eric Gordon and Austin Rivers, all that stuff. I mean, that's a pretty decent team in the West. I mean, you're not going to win a championship with that team. Of course not. But I mean, if you're Philadelphia, you know, if you part ways with Joel Embiid, you just slide Al Horford right there. I mean, you have two overpriced centers, so you just slide the one there. You have Ben Simmons kind of be that Robert Covington kind of type, but he's actually super talented and he can kind of wreck a game that way. And he can kind of take the ball out of Simmons's hands and he can kind of do some rolling and some fun stuff that they were going to do with him at four. Unfortunately, he got hurt, so he didn't get to play in the postseason. We didn't get to see any of it. But, you know, him and Harden together, that'd be really fun. And Ben Simmons can kind of take away the defensive burdens on the perimeter that Harden would have to deal with. And, you know, it sounds like it could work. It sounds like it's a team that could be a top three team in the East. And is that going to happen? Probably not. I think something else will happen. I don't think Philip River... Philip Rivers. I'm in football mode. I don't think Doc Rivers is going to be too thrilled going into the season with, you know, Embiid and Simmons together. I don't think that's kind of the pairing that he wants. So interesting to see what they do with that. And I don't think Maury likes those two bigs together either. So I don't know. I know he's going to try his damnedest to try and get James Harden into Philadelphia. And I, I think he's going to pull out all the stops to try and get him. So don't be shocked if something like that happens. And then Steve Nash just keeps adding to his bench. He's already got Amari Stoudemire and Jackie Vaughn there. So he added Mike D'Antoni, his former coach during his MVP seasons, and okay, Uduka. So Duco has been one of the top assistant coaches in the league for a very long time with the Greg Popovich coaching tree. And it's a really good, it's a good bench. Uh, it just seems like he's got a lot of chefs in the kitchen there. So I don't know how that's going to gel together. That's going to be, I mean, Brooklyn is going to be so fascinating to kind of see how Kyrie and KD work together. Not only if they work together, but is Kevin Durant still the player that he was before he tore his Achilles? I mean, he's a 31 year old seven footer. So that's kind of tough to bounce back from. So we'll see. And if they're starting the season, when they say they're going to start it, that's going to be less than what, less than a year for Kevin Durant to come back on the floor and I don't know that's tough that's a tough ask but Brooklyn's gonna be fascinating and to see Steve Nash's first time coaching and the kind of that really really accomplished bench that he has how that's all going to mesh and work together so Brooklyn is gonna be must watch TV yeah so I think that's that's it from this week and I'll go ahead and uh, wrap this one up. So thank you for listening, continuing to listen, and make sure to like, rate, and review after every single episode. Enjoy your football this weekend, not the Sunday nights and the Monday night games. Um, I don't think anybody's going to enjoy those, but try your best, and I'll meet you back here on Tuesday. We'll wrap everything up, and I'll talk to you then. See ya. Y'all take it easy. I'm out. Goodbye, and good night, back.